Hey, Notorious Bakersfield fans. Notorious Bakersfield, the book, is available for purchase. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love the book. Notorious Bakersfield, the book, dives deeper into the most infamous crimes, incidents, and personalities that have shaped Bakersfield. This literary adaptation uncovers 30 astonishing true stories from Bakersfield and Kern County's last century. Notorious stories from a notorious community. To purchase your copy, go to Amazon.com or your Amazon app and search for Notorious Bakersfield, the book. This is the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. Hey, Notorious Bakersfield fans, there's an event this Friday, February 9th at 6.30 p.m. It's Notorious Bakersfield Listener Reader Appreciation Day. The party's going to get started at 6.30 p.m. at Rusty's Pizza, 1500 Weibel Road. If you haven't gotten your copy of Notorious Bakersfield, the book, it will be available for purchase there, along with the Notorious Bakersfield t-shirts. There will be free pizza, free Notorious Bakersfield bumper stickers or stickers, and some door prizes. So be sure and swing by Rusty's Pizza, 1500 Weibel Road at 6.30 p.m. for a Listener Reader Appreciation Day. Carolyn Harvey, my co-author, will be there. She's coming in from out of town and will be autographing Notorious Bakersfield, the book. So if you've already gotten the book and you need it autographed, swing by, bring it by. We'll be happy to autograph it. That's Friday, February 9th at 6.30 p.m. Carolyn and I look forward to meeting you there. In the evening of April 23rd, 1982, the Sons family was driving on Callaway Drive. 26-year-old Bruce Sons was behind the wheel, and his wife, Linda, was in the passenger seat. Their three kids were in the back seat. When Bruce Sons entered the intersection of Callaway Drive and Snow Road, a motorhome failed to stop at the stop sign and broadsided the Sons station wagon. The collision was violent and horrific. It killed 16-month-old Bruce Sons Jr., and injured every member of the son's family. The driver of the motorhome was also injured, and he was determined to be under the influence of alcohol. The tragedy propelled Linda Sons, Bruce's wife, into activism. She formed Bakersfield's first chapter of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. What followed was a year and a half of legal battles to hold the drunk driver responsible. Ultimately, he was sentenced to three years in prison. Even though the son's family felt the sentence wasn't nearly long enough, they were satisfied the drunk driver was given the harshest sentence possible at the time. The protracted legal battle to hold the drunk driver accountable was one of Kern County's most watched court cases. After spending a little more than a year in prison, the convicted drunk driver was paroled. The Sons family wasn't happy. 
They petitioned the California Department of Corrections to reconsider the decision. Their efforts were futile. The man remained free. A dozen years later, Bruce Sons was the focus of another criminal case. This time, Bruce Sons himself was the accused killer. This is the slaying of Officer Maxwell. Setting that tragedy aside, losing a child to a drunk driver, Bruce Sons had a history with the criminal justice system. Not as a victim, as he was in that case. He was very much a victim, his whole family was. But as a defendant, as an aggressor, or an antagonist toward law enforcement. Many of these encounters predate his son's death. One occurred a decade before. I could understand why Bruce Sons would have animosity towards our criminal justice system after his child was killed by a drunk driver and then that person received a light sentence, then only serve a fraction of that sentence. I could understand why Bruce Sons would have a chip on his shoulder. But like I said, those occurrences happened before that tragedy and continued after. But for whatever reason, Bruce Sons had a long-standing grudge against police officers. The circumstances of these run-ins vary, from fleeing from a traffic stop to verbal altercations with police. Some of these incidents led to him being arrested and incarcerated a few times. But none of those previous altercations were as serious or violent as the one that occurred in the summer of 1994. On July 10, 1994, Kern County Sheriff's deputies went to Bruce Sons' home. They were conducting an investigation into a report of a stolen white 1965 El Camino pickup. Nobody answered the door, but the El Camino was there. The vehicle had two different VINs, vehicle identification numbers. The deputies impounded the El Camino and had it towed to an impound yard. The next day, Bruce Sons and his teenage stepson, Jeremy Sons, went looking for the El Camino. They found the impound yard the sheriff's office had it towed to. The two went in, didn't talk to anybody there at the impound yard, and took the pickup. They just took it. Bruce Sons went home and called the sheriff's office, and he was hot. He accused the sheriff's office of stealing his car. He said, quote, the goddamn cop stole my car and I fucking had to take bolt cutters and cut the lock off the gate to get it back, unquote. After a few more choice words, Sons hung up. A few minutes later, Sons called back. He talked to one of the deputies who was responsible for impounding the vehicle the previous day. This deputy tried reasoning with Sons, telling him to bring in the paperwork if there was some type of misunderstanding, they could sort the matter out. But Bruce Sons was not having it. He claimed the sheriff's deputies were harassing him and felt there was someone out to get him. That same day, during their daily briefing before starting their shift, the California Highway Patrol informed their officers about that stolen El Camino. Officer Richard Maxwell was in this briefing, and, and he recalled seeing that same El Camino the day before. 
After the briefing was over, Officer Maxwell went to patrol in the vicinity of where he previously saw the reported stolen vehicle. And he spotted it. It pulled out right in front of him. And as a matter of fact, Maxwell had to slam on his brakes. The El Camino was driven by Bruce Sons with his stepson in the passenger seat. Officer Maxwell activated his patrol car's lights and siren. Sons refused to pull over. Officer Maxwell radioed the CHP dispatcher to let them know he was in pursuit of a stolen car. He chased the El Camino to Bruce Sons father's house in the 6800 block of Cedar Crest Avenue. Sons pulled into the driveway and Maxwell pulled in behind. As Bruce and Jeremy Sons exited the vehicle, Maxwell yelled that he needed to talk to them. Bruce Sons shouted obscenities at the CHP officer. Jeremy Sons told Maxwell to leave them alone and shoved the officer. Bruce Sons shouted more obscenities and an aggressively advanced towards Maxwell. Sons and Maxwell were face to face. A neighbor across the street witnessed Sons pushing the CHP officer backwards towards the patrol car's open door. Maxwell attempted to handcuff Bruce Sons, but he resisted. Maxwell mazed the irate and belligerent man. But that didn't matter. Bruce Sons just rubbed the mace out of his eyes. While Ma- Officer Maxwell was doing all this, trying to handcuff Sons, then macing him, he was using his radio, re- frantically requesting for backup. Then Jeremy Sons, Bruce Sons' teenage stepson, grabbed a shotgun from the inside of the El Camino. Maxwell used his baton to hit Jeremy's gun. While Jeremy and Officer Maxwell were struggling, Bruce Sons retreated into the open garage and came out with a shotgun of his own. Bruce Sons shouted at Jeremy to get down, to drop to the ground. A gun battle between Bruce Sons and Officer Maxwell ensued. The CHP officer fired a total of 12 rounds from his 40 caliber service weapon, and Bruce Sons fired three blasts from his shotgun. Bruce Sons' first round grazed Maxwell. The second struck Maxwell in the eye, and the third struck him in the upper chest just above his Kevlar vest. While the mortally wounded officer slumped against a boat trailer parked in the driveway, Bruce and Jeremy's sons fled on foot. CHP officer Richard Taggart, Maxwell's friend and beat partner, was the first law enforcement officer to reach the scene. Maxwell was barely conscious. Moments later, another CHP officer arrived to assist Haggard. By the time medical aid arrived on scene, the CHP officers were giving Maxwell CPR. Maxwell was later pronounced dead at Mercy Hospital. Sixty law enforcement officers from three different agencies swarmed into the North Bakersfield neighborhood looking for Bruce and Jeremy Sons. Bruce Sons was the first to be apprehended. He was taken into custody about 15 minutes after the shooting. He was located a couple of blocks from the crime scene. A few hours later, just before noon that same day, Jeremy's sons was located at a relative's house in Oildale. He was arrested and booked into juvenile hall. Like father, like son can be a compliment. But California Highway Patrol Officer Richard Maxwell tragically discovered this is not always the case when he found himself outnumbered and outgunned by a father and son team armed and determined to avoid arrest. 
Richard Allen Maxwell was 33 years old. He was survived by his wife, Marlene, their eight-year-old daughter, his parents, and a brother. Officer Maxwell was the first Bakersfield area CHP officer to die by gunfire. The day after Officer Maxwell's slaying, Bruce Sons gave a jailhouse interview to the Bakersfield, Californian reporter Steve Swinson. During this interview, Sons claimed he shot Officer Maxwell in self-defense. He claimed he and Maxwell had prior interactions and he didn't have a problem with him. Matter of fact, Sons said Maxwell was a hell of a nice guy. That's a quote. He's a hell of a nice guy. Sons maintained that he purchased the 1965 El Camino from a friend for $1,500 about a week prior. He says ever since that transaction, on multiple occasions, officers would pull over whoever was driving the truck, and each time the police released the driver without incident. The killing of CHP officer Richard Maxwell became one of the most extensively covered news stories in Bakersfield's history. Its significance lies not only in its tragic nature, but also in the prolonged legal battles that unfolded in its aftermath. Let me go in chronological order of how the legal proceedings unfolded. I'll begin with Jeremy Sons, Bruce Sons' 16-year-old stepson. He was the first of the two to stand trial. In November 1994, he was convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to the California Youth Authority until his 25th birthday. While in custody with the California Youth Authority, Jeremy Sons committed some kind of an assault. And since he was no longer a juvenile, he was transferred to an adult prison to finish his sentence. Former Oildale resident Bruce Sons was sentenced to life in prison for killing CHP officer Richard Maxwell. Today, March of 1995, a, a Kern County jury found Bruce Sons himself guilty of first-degree murder. Even though a first-degree murder conviction made him eligible for the death penalty, that same jury sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In 1999, in a civil suit, Bruce Sons agreed to pay Richard Maxwell's widow $1 million, something she said she <laughs> would probably never see. Then, in May 2003, almost a decade after Richard Maxwell's killing, a judge tossed out Sons' conviction. The reason? The prosecution withheld evidence that Officer Maxwell had a record of prior alleged improper behavior. There were nine documented citizen complaints against Maxwell during his almost five-year career with the CHP. These complaints varied. Uh, he once threatened to shoot somebody's aggressive dog on a traffic stop, and then during a traffic stop, he told the person they looked like a drug user. Maxwell was accused of using profanity in the presence of a juvenile during a traffic stop. There were a couple of instances where Maxwell drew his weapon and people complained that it was unnecessary. And more complaints of Officer Maxwell using profanity and aggressive language. Some of these citizen complaints were substantiated. Others were dismissed. 
nine citizen complaints in almost five years. Now, I don't know if that's a lot or not, but it should be noted, none of the complaints involved Officer Maxwell using excessive force or abusing his authority. All of them involved verbal threats or using intimidating language and profanity. A couple had to do with him drawing his weapon, but none of them rose to the level that required disciplinary action. But because the Kern County District Attorney didn't disclose those complaints to the defendant's counsel, Bruce Sons was granted a retrial. That was in 2003. That same year, Jeremy Sons was released from prison. Bruce Sons' second trial got underway in April 2005. During this trial, the prosecutor attempted to find Jeremy Sons. He's an important eyewitness to the shooting, but he was never found. But this second trial went on, and it ended with a hung jury, and a mistrial was declared. The third trial, the same way as the second. A hung jury, and a mistrial was declared. Prosecutors pressed on. They vowed to retry Bruce Sons a fourth time. They're not going to let a cop killer walk. This time, the defense is granted a change of venue, and the trial is moved to Santa Barbara County. After this fourth and final trial, a Santa Barbara jury found Bruce Sons guilty of voluntary manslaughter. Bruce Sons, the man who was once condemned to life in prison without the possibility of parole, was sentenced to 16 years in prison. This final trial was in 2006. Sons had already served 12 years. But for credit for good behavior while he was incarcerated, his time served was recalculated to about 22 years. This made it possible for him to be released. And he didn't even have to serve any time on probation. He was a totally free man. Many of the spectators sympathetic towards Bruce Sons shed tears of joy while Officer Maxwell's friends, family, and law enforcement colleagues wept and hung their heads in despair. Officer Maxwell's widow and daughter burst out crying. Immediately following the trial, California Highway Patrol Captain Brian Smith said, quote, When we allow a cop killer to be free, then I think all citizens should be concerned about it. Unquote. In the 1990s, there was a television program called Real Stories of the California Highway Patrol. A production crew traveled to Bakersfield to film and recreate the slaying of Richard Maxwell. Those of us in Bakersfield who were very familiar with the case anxiously waited to tune in to watch that dramatization of events we were all very familiar with. Boy, were we disappointed. Even though the title of the show was Real Stories of the California Highway Patrol, the story depicted in that episode was mostly fabricated. We lived through the real-life tragedy. We followed the news. We knew the court cases and all that. But for some reason, the producers just made up facts about the case. I have no idea why. But yeah, it, I'm, I'm sure... 
there was a reason, some kind of legal reasons, but I don't understand, but they didn't even use Bruce Sons and, and Jeremy Sons real names. So it's still out there. It's on YouTube. If, it's, if you want to watch it, it's, but it's not, <laughs> it doesn't, uh, there's a few things that are, yeah, okay. That's, but no, it's mostly fabricated resources used to research this story, the Bakersfield Californian and finelaw.com people versus sons. Remember to come out this Friday, February 9th for Notorious Bakersfield listener, reader, fan appreciation day. Notorious Bakersfield, the book will be available for purchase. If you've already gotten your book and you want an autograph, bring it by, eat some pizza. In addition to free pizza, we'll have uh, Notorious Bakersfield stickers and door prizes. Friday, February 9th at 6.30 p.m. Looking forward to seeing you there. This is Robert Peterson. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another Notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, stay safe, stay out of trouble, don't become a future episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. Just helping you out with your facts there.